Dave. Um, so my name is Dash, and I'm one of the members here at Citizens. Uh, and if you're new, welcome. Um, we're happy you're here. Uh, so as Dave said, over the past few weeks, we've been talking about money, everyone's favorite subject, um, and the ways in which our wealth and possessions tell stories about who we are, uh, what's important to us, and ultimately who we serve. Um, one of my favorite stories about money is the MasterCard uh, Priceless Ad Campaign. Um, there are multiple versions, but they all have the same message. Uh, the first one ran about 20 years ago, and in it, you watch a dad being a dad, uh, taking his son to his first baseball game, uh, paying for the tickets, $46, two hot dogs, some popcorn and drinks, $27, one autographed baseball, $50. Um, the, the story is not about what was purchased, but the experience that it afforded. An opportunity for a dad to have a priceless conversation with his 11-year-old son, which I would say for any parent is priceless. I love the ad and it makes me feel sentimental every time, even though I hate baseball. Uh, and during the entire 30 second ad, I'm sitting there calculating the price of the items in my head. So for those wondering, the father spent $123, which again, for a baseball game, seems a little absurd. Um, but seriously, I think I love the ad so much because it reminds me of two things. One, that there are some things that are more valuable than the price we pay for them. And the reverse is also true, that there are things that are more costly than the price we pay for them. We get what we wanted, but lose something we had, which always ultimately feels like that. Money is gift, getting something um, valuable, and money is theft. These two ideas we've been tracking through the stories we've covered so far in the Bible. And on the fourth Sunday, we pause to consider how these stories show up in the, let's call it, advertisement of our own lives. So today is the fourth Sunday, and I've been asked to lead our discussion. And since we've covered a lot in the sermon series so far, I thought it might be helpful to summarize some of the key lessons. One, money is first and foremost a gift, and gift is at the moral center of the universe. Two, Faithfulness is how we navigate the tensions of living in a broken, broken, taking world. And three, Sabbath should remind us that, there, that we are no longer slaves, but a nation of neighbors. But if you're like me, these lessons raise more questions than answers, right? Um, how do I practically live this out? How should I respond to what feels like gift or even what feels like theft? What is God asking of me today with what he has given me? And as I was wrestling with these questions this week, I kept coming back to Matthew 6, 24, which says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. I picked this Bible version because I think the name is important. Mammon instead of money. Mammon is this ancient Aramaic word that the Greek apostles could have easily translated into money or wealth. You know, 
words that have less of a negative connotation to them. But instead they left it, suggesting that it had a particular significance, that money was not a neutral tool, but something that could master a person every bit and completely as the true God. Uh, author and theologian Walter Brugman writes in his book, Money and Possessions, that we absolutely must not minimize the parallel Jesus draws between God and mammon. He's not using a rhetorical figure, but pointing out reality. God as a person and mammon as a person find themselves in conflict. And Rudman goes on to walk through a few common rebuttals. Um, so uh, Jesus first, Jesus is not describing the particular situation of the miser who, whose master is money because his soul is perverted. So uh, we're not just talking about a rich person who loves money, and we know the love of money is the root of all evil. Jesus is not describing a relationship between us and an object. Between, but between us and an active agent. So we're not just simply talking about inanimate coins and paper or cards. He is not suggesting that we use money wisely or earn it honestly, both of which we are called to do elsewhere in scripture. Jesus is speaking of a power which tries to be like God, which makes itself our master and which has specific goals that Jesus is saying in this passage um, is antichrist, or this verse is antichrist. Now, it might be easy to think, you know, mammon is just a problem for the rich. Um, more money, more problems, as they say. Uh, but the Bible says differently. Mammon tempts both the rich and the poor. And we find this in Proverbs 30, 8 through 9. And I, and I, for the majority of the morning, I kind of want to rest on this passage. Um, let's focus here, um, let's dig in here, um, and we'll start the discussion. But first, let me read. Proverbs 30, 8 through 9 says, Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. So the first question I have is, um, as we look at this passage, what is the prayer against riches? You know, what line here is talking about riches and what does it mean? First, yes, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? We know. Uh, one of the words that jumps out at me is full, this idea of in need of nothing, um, which usually means that you're less dependent upon someone else. So we know he's rich. Other thoughts here? Like uh, having a 
really good meal and just feeling I'm done, can't take anymore. Yeah. I think the the question is interesting. Uh, the question is who is the Lord because it seems as if the riches and the fullness are almost disoriented. Like the person who has them now it's a denial, but it's also this, I don't know, it's like saying you don't know someone that you do know. Like, it almost seems like dementia to me or something. Like, it's like suddenly, like, not knowing who God is. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Um, because when I, when I saw that question, who's the Lord, I took a bit of a different tack. I thought, like, man, it, your riches have made you feel emboldened um, as, a, as opposed to what you're saying, which I, I think is, is fair. It made me think of um, Matthew 19.24 where Jesus says, you know, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This like sense of, yeah, I'm, I'm full. I don't need God, like really puffed up. Following off Crystal's point, it makes me think of when they're in the garden and God's like calling out for them and they're like, oh, like, kind of like hiding, like that same sense of like, oh, I'm sorry, do I know you? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> shit, look, that was fun. You don't need to worry about me. I'm cool over here. You know, like, yeah. it does make you feel that way. Like, mm -hmm. get a little financial windfall on your life. Hmm, I got this together. And it's like, oh, then something bad happens, I'm like, it's terrible. Lord, help me. You know? Where'd you go? I thought you were right beside me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the limitlessness of it is what really strikes me. That to think that I would say that I'm full without the Lord, that, like, why would I say that if I had a limit to my wealth? But if I had unlimited wealth and I was just rolling in the money, then I could just keep looking at. I couldn't see the end to which I could satisfy myself with worldly possessions and enjoyments and comforts because I just have so much money that, that I could be in a position where like, oh, I don't need you anymore, God, because see, it just, I can't even see the end to which I can just enjoy myself in the material world. I think that distortion is highlighted in the first first part of that session, the part of that verse, right? We move far from me, falsehood and lying, right? It's not even doesn't start with talking about riches even. It's talking about kind of a state of mind in terms of where is my where does my truth lie? Mm. Right? It's a it's a rejection of the falsehood of what riches or even poverty might look like um, on both ends.
about the reverse? Um, what is the prayer against poverty? Same question, what does it mean? Disciple, author, the book of, uh, well, maybe uh, uh, such as with the gospel, um, whom may have authored the passage of Judas. Uh, so this is uh, in Proverbs in the Old Testament. Okay. And I'm going to turn to Dave. I think it's David. No, it's David. like a, it's like a guy's name, like first name. It's like. It's like Azul or something. Okay. It's the same as Azul. Yeah. I feel good that I didn't know that. <laughs> no, it's like a random guy. It's like an interesting character that's only in Proverbs 30. What's his name? Agar. Agar. Okay. Great. There you go. A-G-U-R. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Which to that point, kind of the last question, like when, yeah. it, when it came from the, when it came from Proverbs, I'm like, there's no way Solomon said that. Mm-hmm. And then I, I looked it up, and this is from the saints of Agar, right at the end of Proverbs. Huh. And the last thing about, you know, the prayer uh, about being too rich, I'm like, much of Solomon's adult life, he fell into that trap. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, wait, what? It's in this, and it's, yeah. it's ironic that this, this is tacked on the end of Solomon's sayings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. <laughs> yeah, when I first did compiling it, it was like, oh, here's a little bit of humor for you. You missed something really important that would have changed the course of your life. Yeah, <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, so I was thinking that this is actually kind of like the opposite side of the same coin, like the riches and then the poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, for the person who's rich, when he's saying who who is God, to me, I kind of took it as like, you know, I have enough now that I'm my own God. I have enough resources. I can do whatever I want. I don't need anybody else. Yeah. And for the person who is poor, who it, it actually seems like they're also denying the existence of God because they're not like trusting in Him and relying on Him to provide what they need. They're taking it into their own hands and saying like, "I have nothing. I better steal and get what I need for today because God is not taking care of me." Yeah. So they're kind of both, you know, making themselves their own God instead of trusting in God. Yeah, yeah I, I felt like it was both moves are like a move toward like autonomy. So, like, I have enough resources, I don't need anybody else or God, and then I'm poor, but I need to, like, take it upon myself to steal um, and still, like, keep that reliance within myself rather than, like, an openness to help. It's also interesting in that story that it's daily bread as well. It's like uh, dependence every single day as opposed to over longer stretches of time. Um, 
the, one of the things that just really struck me and um, maybe a, um, kind of an underlining of, of what they said, I just really appreciate the call out of less than before, like the honesty of that statement. Um, poverty is hard. Um, and, and like Dave was saying that, there, yeah, there's a pretty clear distinction between the rich and the, the poor person. Like, the, for the rich person, we kind of have to infer that they're rich because they're poor. Um, whereas for the poor person, they just call it out. And so yeah, I just really appreciate that honesty. I, I think it's, it's hard, that is, that is a hard statement. Um, there's uh, like being poor, there's a, a loneliness and the solitary nature of it. Um, I grew up in a family that was, that was poor and I remember lots of prayers where it was just that. I don't want to be poor. So I just really appreciated that, that call out. Um, and then, you know, others have said, it, yeah, it's interesting that, um, you know, the poor person decides to steal, which, you know, we could focus on the act itself, um, uh, but if you've ever stolen anything, I have, there's a heart thing going on there too, right? This sense of envy or obsession um, or something that you believe belongs to you and not to the other person that you know can be just as crippling as the rich chasing wealth. Um, so I agree with you, Leah. There's this sense of both for the rich and, and the poor, it does feel like two sides of the same, same coin. Um, and it's interesting that the physical state of being rich or being poor um, is connected to a, like a spiritual end, right? So uh, the, rich, the rich man, physical state, denies God um, a spiritual state. And the poor man, physical state, profanes his name, God. So there is a connection between the two, for sure. Um, as I was thinking through that passage, um, it made me think, you know, if the essence of money is about um, self-sufficiency, which Jerry, I think you really highlighted, um, money then becomes, or money is then naturally bent towards this idea of like transcendence, like wanting <coughs> to claim something that I don't currently have through my own will. Uh, the sense of saving myself by my own means to get what I want when I want it using whatever means possible uh, to become like a God, to become God. Um, which, you know, it's no wonder then that Jesus declares mammon as the chief rival. Uh, and it might be easy to then say, you know, let's do away with money altogether then. Um, but we've learned that money is a gift and gifts are good. They just also come with risk and responsibility. Um, notice that the writer does not shy away from asking for material well-being. He says, feed me with the food that is needful for me. Uh, and, you know, maybe in San Francisco, that's, you know, a food this morning might not be the, the need, the pertinent need uh, for you, but maybe it's shelter me with a house that is needful for me, or a job that is needful for me. 
Um, I think what's instructive here is that the writer asks God through prayer to determine what's needful for him. What is enough? What is too little? So that he does not fall into idolatry uh, with neither with either riches or poverty. Uh, it's interesting because you know the prayer implies a renunciation of self. Um, there, one of the songs that you sang, Leah, um, the the refrain was um, "Empty myself." I'm gonna forget the full line, but I just, uh, I just, it's just, just such a beautiful prayer. Um, and this idea that I cannot master mammon, so I can't do this by myself. Only God can. So I have to pray to obtain from God what I cannot do myself. And only through prayer can I have a right orientation towards money. Which should humble us. Um, it definitely humbles me. Rarely do I pray about what to do about my family's money and possessions. But it should also, I think, encourage us. Like, uh, you're not supposed to do this alone. This is hard um, and requires help. It makes me wonder, uh, though, if there are prayerful actions I could be incorporating into my life. Um, are there rhythms and liturgies uh, that can form me closer into the image of God instead of mammon? How would I need to orient my life in order to be able to say, uh, like Paul in Philippians, not that I complain of want, for I've learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and want. I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Um, in order to cultivate the spirit, I came across a helpful talk by um, writer Andy Crouch, where he walks through four ways to combat mammon in our lives. Um, so I'm going to read through the four with some choice quotes, um, and I'm interested in what you all think um, as we kind of wrestle through the, the four suggestions here. So the first move by Andy Crouch, suggested by Andy Crouch, is uh, generosity. And he says, uh, most ways we use money give us control and safety. But giving releases control by definition. When you give, you, are no, you no longer have control. Giving is risky. Uh, the second move is transparency. And he says, the secrecy around money, the most immaterial thing in our lives is a sign that mammon has its grip on us. And a very powerful way to detox is to open up your books. I'm happy to share the complexities of what God has entrusted to our family and how we're trying to be faithful with it. The third move is being people first. He says, the primary question we as a family ask about every de deployment of our assets, including our spending as well as our saving and our investing and our giving, is what will this do to strengthen relationships? to create capacity of love and dignity and respect for other people so we can all do in the world what we were made to do. I love that last time. We can all do in the world that we were made to do. Um, 
And then the last move is patience. Um, mammon is in a hurry. Mammon wants you to make more of that money. Fast mammon wants you to move so fast you don't notice the people you're running over to make it. God wants us to be in the world to create multiples on investment for sure, but our timing, how fast the velocity of money, that's ultimately up to God. And this will lead us to have a thousand generation vision for our lives. So across these four, uh, generosity, transparency, people first, and patience, uh, I, like, I, I really like I really like these four um, uh, because their opposites are also easy to remember. Um, I don't know if you are a carrot or stick person. I'm definitely a stick person, so it's good to have flags of the opposite things. Um, so stinginess, secrecy, self-focus, and speed. All red flags that I'm drifting towards mammon and that I need to stop. But the, the question for us, um, uh, given these four moves, what seems hard, uh, what seems easy, what practices have you or others adopted as you think about mammon and money? transparency 
You don't want to be voyeuristic. You don't want to be just kind of like, well, now we know, but we're not going to do anything about it. Because um, that can, I think, lead to, yeah. I mean, we all know what it's like when you share something with someone and then you kind of like wish you didn't. Um, so you don't want that. On the other hand, I think the lack of transparency does feel like we fit into our cultural orientation of like relativism of like, well, hopefully everybody in my community is doing well financially. I don't really know, but I'm sure they're fine. You know, it's like, it's not really caring for people when you just are kind of like, kind of have this like secret, we're all really on our own, even if we say we're in community. Like I feel like there is the harder work of actually trying to figure out, yeah, both the call to some to generosity and to others maybe, yeah, it assumes that we all have the same <coughs> knowledge about how to even manage finances, which I think is a big assumption that sometimes is, uh, some people are going to be left wanting. And so I do think it's a, it's a really interesting one to think about, like, how you do it well. And I think that transparency idea leads to, like, vulnerability. Like, it's not just, like, on paper transparency. It's emotional transparency of saying, like, oh, I have a hard time asking I would never let anyone know I'm struggling, mm -hmm. ever. You know, like the pandemic was really hard for me with that personally. Like my fan, my fi my personal finances got destroyed, and I had been really responsible. It still got destroyed, yeah. and being able to say like I need help is huge emotional transparency, and that to me like seems like an overarching principle that can apply to money or relationships or whatever. If you're in any kind of community, if you're not being emotionally vulnerable, then it does lead to like, I can do this on my own. Not only do I not need these people's help, but the more I cultivate that like, I'm an island kind of feeling, then that also kind of separates me from like, who is the Lord? Like, I, don't, I, I got this God, you know, like it's fine because you aren't practicing it in everyday life with the people you actually do see and who can help you physically. And so it just transfers into that greater relationship with him of being like, I'm, I, I got this. I'll only ask you when you're really desperate instead of cultivating this like regular idea of like, I need daily bread. I need help every day. Yeah. Yeah, there's this level of transparency to me that's like, it could also create these sense of like hierarchies, mm -hmm. which I've experienced a lot, especially in this city, like talking to people who make a lot more than me and how they talk about their own spending habits and how they're like willing to throw away like a bunch of money for the vast dispensable income that I'm like, damn dude, that was like six months of my rent. <laughs> <laughs> Just like sometimes I'm just like, dude, just like shut up, please. Like I don't <laughs> want to hear about this. So it's this I don't know, the way to do transparency that's like respectable as well. It's like and being sensitive to the people you're being transparent to, I think is like a fine balance.
feel shame about where I shouldn't have spent. Or I'll feel pride about, like, we, I don't blow, you know, thousands of dollars that somebody else could use for rent. Like, I'm doing better than they are. And so I think that just spills out into the reason we're not honest with each other either. It's like I'm just trying to avoid that I have blinders on that I won't fall into. Yeah. Yeah, I think what's, what's so hard is transparency. It triggers our identity with somebody, how much we find So that's even the danger of, of talking about the story of money and, and putting too much stock, you know, and numbers. Like trying to create a story over, you know, like Andy's just like, I'm super responsible. It just crap happens, you know, and like, and so there's no like, you can't tell a story with that except for like, man, that's really hard. And so how do you really, I guess, how do you, how are you? Wanting to tell too much of a story, mm -hmm. um, yeah. uh, keeping it as a gift. So it, it is this, yeah, interesting conversation and dynamic. It's hard. The word that keeps on coming up that I notice in this conversation is trust. Like the people in my life that I trust, I'm able to be more transparent. Yeah, I agree. Transparency um, out of the four probably feels, maybe is the, the hardest um, because it, it touches on so many things. And one, just coming to <coughs> looking at the numbers face to face and to you know, Gabe's point, um, 
how that touches uh, the stories we tell um, about ourselves through our money. Um, and so doing, having to do this work of making, sh making sure that you're telling yourself the right story, but then going and sharing that with someone, uh, someone else requires like a dependency and trust, which again, in a place like San Francisco, is, is not, the, not the norm. Um, yeah, I, I yeah, really struck on this kind of trust piece and, um, you know, growing up, I remember many times, like, doubting God because of the, the, the lack of physical presence of people showing up and, like, trying to be present in the poverty my mom, my sister and I found myself in. Um, and I think kind of the flip side of that, I think the, the passage and, you know, these four moves reiterate just the importance of community and that there isn't like a silver bullet answer here, that there is tension in it, um, which ultimately just requires prayer and like individually and corporately trying to figure out how to do this well and take care of the, you know, the resources God has Um, sure. Yeah. Part, I think that you know, we, we focus on money, but I also think in terms of like talent, skills, you maybe get paid for at work, but then how you know how does that broaden out to where your time is equivalent to money or your expertise, and how easy is it to you know be honest about when that's a need, stepping up, going, oh, like that's going to take away my time, right? And that and that may be a time that. Saturday, Sundays, we're not working, Monday to Friday, but what's God calling you to do? And I think sometimes we look at it with just the dollar, you know, value, but it's also the other talents that we've been given or blessed with and, and thinking of it beyond that to help folks and share across where the needs are. Yeah, like when somebody needs something that you can do for them, not expecting to be paid for it in a sense. I think transparency is only hard when we're coming from the taking mindset. Mm -hmm. Like that's just the reality of it. It's just sin, right? Mm -hmm. Ultimately, that doesn't want us to be transparent. So I mean, I don't think that. I mean, within the church, right? If we're thinking about it in the body of, of Christ, transparency should just be right. It, there should be no fear, and I'm not saying that there isn't, and that there needs to be really thoughtful consideration to these things because we are people and we're, we're sinful. But the reality is, is it's just us holding us back from that. And I think it's a matter of, it's okay to be transparent, but we have to give each other the space to realize we're not gonna always be perfect at that. We're not always gonna be good at that. We might hurt each other. And that is not great, but that's also, what it is to be human and what it is to be part of a community. And so I think we only make transparency difficult because we want to make transparency difficult because it requires a level of vulnerability that we don't want to allow ourselves to be because we'll get hurt, right? And so, but if, I mean, or yeah, or anything, right? Or all the things. 
but I mean, but I mean, I think all of us have experienced that with great generosity, with great like vulnerability, we only become stronger and more blessed and as a community. And so it's scary, yeah, but it's only because we're coming from kind of that taking mentality that has to be scary versus coming from the from the from the kind of the truth, right? That we are in a giving community from a great giver. And so whatever we give, whether it be money or time or transparency, like it, just, it should be, I mean, I think it's coming back to kind of that truth, right? Because it's like, I need that accountability, right? So it's like, I work at a large organization and I make good money. And for me, I'm constantly convicted around like, am I spending my money in the right way? And like, who do I share with? I share it with this guy. But like, maybe if I shared it with other people, then I would have you know, a greater use for what those funds could be. I don't know, do you know what I mean? And so I think it's really, like, it's only me that prevents that. Yeah. I really love the phrase, like, move, it's a move against mammon. Like, I almost picture, <clears throat> like, you're trying to the screw of, um, you know, like, um, if you're more mortification sin, you're trying to kill sin, like, every move towards transparency, baby step, big step, whatever, generosity, people towards, I'm just turning the screw against the worship of mammon in my life, I'm just, like, tightening, um, and killing that sin, and then when it comes back, I just need to keep tightening it, yeah. um, and, and keep turning that screw so that I, uh, kill this temptation, um, this, like, demonic, like, personal, I, personal, Yeah. May I say something yeah, yeah. in regards to transparency? So in regards to gift, uh, maybe some of the, uh, in regards to the uh, jargon verbiage, maybe from uh, whether it be uh, the book of Proverbs, to the word gift maybe in uh, some of uh, the older books uh, con with contemporary English could maybe uh, translate uh, maybe a gift uh, a more not necessarily nor unnecessarily appropriate uh, translation uh, could be bribe as opposed to gift so, in regards, and I, I relocated to San Francisco from the state capital of New York State, Albany County. So, I guess it doesn't necessarily, nor unnecessarily, when I think of bribe, have to be uh, some sort of um, uh, documented uh, political uh, contribution. My my time is up, so let's let's follow Body up trail. afterwards. Um, For sure. We've got um, lunch. great discussion. No, definitely, definitely. Yeah. And you know, I do. It's a it's a good. There are a lot of good thoughts in there. I mean, we've been talking about our own money and possessions, but more generally, we've talked about how money is a story, and there has a story before us, and we'll have a story after us, and sometimes we can't control how 
that money is used. Um, so yeah, I really appreciated that point. Um, uh, my time's up, so uh, thanks for the discussion. Uh, I'm feeling encouraged uh, to close. I want to read, you can come up, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9, uh, which says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your, my, our sake, he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Why serve mammon when you can serve Christ? Let's pray. Uh, dear Lord, uh, thank you for what you've given us and what you've kept away. Help us to see it as a gift. Um, help us to love you more for it. Thank you for providing your son. You didn't count it lost or poverty to give up his own life to ransom ours.